verse 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him is life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the, of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God within us, and the word of God amongst us. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. God becoming born in flesh offers to all people becoming born of God. The first chapter of the Gospel of John is normally read on Christmas Day because it's about the incarnation. God become human. God become flesh. In other words, it's about the birth of Jesus and what that means for us. So I invite you to settle in for a Christmas sermon in August. I used to be a pretty avid knitter. I'd get my patterns from books that I bought at the craft store or looking up ideas on different blogs. Now in the world of knitting, it's pretty common for knitters to spend a lot of their time knitting gifts for other people. Christmas is a big time of year when knitters like to give out handmade gifts. However, nice or not nice they turn out to be but making things take time so there's a tradition in the knitting world of Christmas in July knitting patterns in fact that's true of all the needle crafts so it's 107 degrees outside and knitters are heading to the craft store to pick out wool yarn and needle pointers are deciding which Santa head design to put on the front of the Christmas stocking I've done this myself nothing with Santa heads just knitting for me but I've started knitting projects in summertime, sitting inside, getting the first few rows started on a wool blanket when it's bathing suit weather outside. It's a funny juxtaposition. Even once you get used to doing it several years in a row, because there's nothing about 120 degree weather putting you in the mood to knit a beanie. <laughs> the heat can make us irritable and a lot less likely to have those cuddly feelings about giving nice gifts to our friends and family. Knitting at Christmas time is actually more fun. It feels like the right thing to be doing. There's a fire, and there's some cozy Christmas movie on TV where it's funny in the middle, and then everything works out all right in the end. There's a delicious snack nearby that's salty and sweet. 
and probably is bad for your teeth. And it's actually cold out, so it feels kind of good to have half a blanket draped over you, keeping you warm while you work on it. If you really want to knit your Christmas presents, though, you can't do all your knitting at Christmas time. The gifts just won't be ready. The preparation has to begin earlier, when it's 187 degrees out, <laughs> and you're not really in a Christmassy mood. If you really want to make the most of Christmas, it has to begin when you least feel like it. Kind of like a Christmas sermon in August. <laughs> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. These words are intended to remind us of the creation story in Genesis, where God says things and they become. From the void, the physical world responds by coming into being. Plants, the sky, fish, flowers, humans, emotions, zebras. These respond to God speaking. Now, I'm not trying to say anything about the Big Bang or evolution. Those are questions we have that weren't the interest of the people who wrote down the stories that became our scripture. The story of the world coming into being in Genesis says something true about who God is and who we are and what the earth is like. This speech that's described at the creating of things is the word that John writes about. And this word causes life to overflow and beauty to exist where before there was chaos, void, and darkness. This creative word wasn't written on a page. It's speech and sound. Like all speech, it has rhythm and harmony. That makes it musical. It's vibration. That's what sound is. It vibrates within the earth and within us as all sound does. Jesus is the enfleshment of that sound that's so powerful and beautiful that molecules, molecules change in response to its tune. Jesus is the word, the word that became flesh and lived among us, and this is full of grace and truth. When Jesus became born in flesh, I mean when God became born in flesh, humans become born in God. Not away from or out of our own flesh. We are still flesh. And we are close to God. Because God has moved towards us so that we can awaken as the beloved in every part of our bodies. As St. Simeon the theologian writes. That's from the poem that Simon read at the beginning of the service. We'll say that again. God has moved towards us so that we can awaken as the beloved in every part of our bodies. God has moved towards you so that the fullness of grace and truth may inhabit every part of you. So that the fullness of grace and truth may inhabit the spaces between us. What would, be, what would it be like to always say what was true? What was in alignment with the self? What if the desires of the self were always full of mercy? Mercy to the self, to others. Not pretending, not fake forgiveness, but grace and truth meeting.
Have you ever been out and about in the world and you find yourself all of a sudden in a situation where you're doing something or words are coming out of your mouth that just make you feel terrible? Accidentally, you start saying something you don't even really think because of social pressure or because you just are not really that awake to what you think in the first place. The body warns us that something is going wrong. We feel icky. We feel nauseous. We can feel anxious in our hearts when we start to feel it beating faster and tightness in our chest. Sometimes this is called putting our foot in our mouths. A lot of the time, whatever it might mean to be awake as the beloved in every part of the body, to be born in God in my human flesh, it eludes us. And scripture knows this too. The same tension we feel between the promise of restored existence in the body and our actual painful experiences of living in our bodies is described in our sacred writings. Some writings in scripture describe that our flesh is the site of redemption and resurrection. The Gospel of John for example, and the promises given to the people in Ezekiel that Carly read for us. In these writings, it's profoundly important to the author to communicate the fleshliness of Christ. This is in the Gospel of John. And it's important because the author has to challenge people who would say otherwise. These people would say that Jesus just seemed human but wasn't really. In this way of thinking, the idea that God would self-limit by becoming flesh was scandalous. That God would give up so much, would become embodied, would live as one dying. Because all of our bodies are growing older, decaying slowly. The idea of God in flesh had to be praised and defended. Songs and theology had to be written about it to help us hold on to the reality that God would want to come so close. There are other writings in scripture that highlight our broken relationships with our bodies. They use the same word so poetically in the first chapter of John, that's used so poetically in the first chapter of John, flesh. That word is used to describe our painful and broken relationship with our own human existence. Our broken relationship with others, with the way that we interact with others. We are disconnected from ourselves and we can be even disconnected from each other when we're sitting right next to each other in the very same room, even when we're touching. These writings are some of the letters in the New Testament connected to the Apostle Paul. In Galatians, it's written, that the true freedom of being born in Christ means that we will live by the Spirit, not gratifying the desires of the flesh. And I think that some of you have probably heard this a few times. Spirit and flesh are contrasted. The former spirit is good, the latter flesh is bad. The flesh in Galatians stands for brokenness between and within people. Jealousy, anger, and violence. We know that a life filled with those things would be painful. To be always wishing that I had what others had. To be always seeking how I may destroy those who have hurt me. 
We witness this acted out in reality between nations, in the violence at our border, within the church, against all kinds of groups. <clears throat> if the flesh in those writings stands for brokenness within me, why does the Gospel of John write with such beauty and grandeur about God becoming flesh? It expresses the same tension we feel inside ourselves. The body has been blamed for every terrible thing. Gluttony, laziness, mental illness is the mind's fault, testosterone is the cause of sexual violence and any kind of violence for that matter. The natural bodily changes that occur with aging are definitely something we should fight, or at least that's what I learned whenever I go into Target, into the beauty product section. <laughs> the body is too large, too small, too thin. The body's breasts are too big for Christian culture to approve. The body is too ugly to be liked, too short to be a leader, too ill, too brown, too queer. It's the body's fault. And the body bears other burdens. People are carrying around in their bodies the heavy weights from past wounds, childhood trauma, or the jabs that happen in an instant through an offhand comment of a friend or a teacher that keeps showing up in our memories at surprising moments. Our culture and we ourselves, if we're honest, acts as a judge that puts the human body on trial every day and always comes up with the same verdict, guilty. In response, we turn around and exploit that which we have accused in desperate pursuit of healing and pleasure. Substances numb the pain. There's overeating, overexercise, or both together. People with power set up exploitive labor conditions. The bodies of the vulnerable become recipients of violence. Even in the media, it's become common to exploit the pain of others for entertainment, or even sometimes education. I went to a workshop this summer on developing one's own preaching voice. The emphasis was on the voice and body, learning how they relate to each other, and learning how to speak with the power of one's whole body. It turned out that only women signed up. There were eight of us, all pastors, all with seminary degrees, several senior pastors, several professors, including one tenured seminary professor, Women who had preached hundreds of sermons. A couple were in their 50s. Over four days, we had eight hours of physical exercises, of learning how the voice works in many lectures, practice runs in public speaking, and group discussion on our experiences preaching as women. The women in the group admitted to struggling to stand up straight in front of a crowd. One woman who had a higher voice talked about how when she started preaching, she felt like people wouldn't believe her because our culture believes in the authority of deeper voices, male voices. A 
Another woman broke down crying as she talked about feeling like it was often hard for her to speak up, even in social situations, not just the pulpit. She has felt silenced throughout her life. I have felt this way too, and I've spent years learning to remember that I can say something whenever I want to. By the end of the week, the difference in the way we stood when we were together was remarkable. There was even a difference in the way that we spoke. I noticed that we were all looking straight ahead when we were practicing our public speech. Shoulders back, not up here or hunched forward. Voices clearer, less extra movement. It made me wonder what we were each carrying when we first walked into the class. What burdens had our bodies been bearing and who put them there? Now I wonder how many other people I know are carrying loads like this. And what can I do to help be one of the people who takes them off? I've spent some time this summer mourning what I saw and what I learned at that workshop about what women carry in their bodies and about what I've carried in mine. How can we restore our relationships with that which is constantly accused and exploited? Our bodies and each other's bodies. Christ becomes flesh means that Christ was accused and exploited too. What we know in our bodies, God knows. And where there is accusation and exploitation of bodies now, it is happening to the body of Christ. The mystery of God's presence everywhere is that there's a special measure of God's presence in pain. Not condoning it, not glorifying it, not forcing us to be thankful for it, but knowing it, understanding it, and becoming it so that we can know rebirth, so that we can know restoration. Wherever there's pain, Christ is there. At the border, in the cages, lying in the street as a victim of gun violence, in addiction, in the trauma that we carry. The mystery deepens because Christ first became flesh, but now we are the body of Christ. We, the church, made up of people of many bodies gathered together. Because God became flesh, we are able to know newness, to know the restoration of the body. And Christ is waiting for us and calling, waiting for us at and calling us to the places of pain. That is where Christ is. That is where the healing is. In the flesh within us, amongst us, outside of us. The creative life-bringing power of the word of God is within us and amongst us and outside of us. We need a Christmas sermon in August because the Christmas story, the story of incarnation, is not cozy and cuddly and heartwarming. It's sweating and bleeding. Christ become flesh 
Infant in a Manger, is a beautiful story that makes us want to sing nice carols and eat lots of prime rib and cake. But it doesn't mean much if it's not told in the face of our pain, in the face of our broken relationships with our bodies and with each other. Things are not all right as they are, but mysteriously, through the same earthy pathway that we know pain, healing is coming. Christ came in flesh, not so that we could do away with flesh once and for all, but so that we could be healed within it. So that we can awaken as the beloved in every part of our bodies. The same creative, powerful speech that resounds in Genesis resounds at the sight of any suffering and pain. The vibrations of this speech are full of grace and truth and we are its instrument. Nothing fake here, no accusing finger, no exploitation. The vibration of this speech is filled with mercy. It's not afraid to see and speak what's real and to pour loving kindness into that reality. The ancient promises given to the prophets tell us about this hope the hope of the restoration of the flesh. Ezekiel writes that God says to dusty, dry, aching, broken, lifeless bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. The promise is bodies restored, put back together by God. The one who became flesh out of love for you, rising in your flesh, full of grace and truth. Healing offered to the trauma you've carried in your body. Mercy to the voice of accusation inside you. Women standing tall when we are up front. People offering their bodies the grace of enough sleep and food. Relationships reconciled between groups who have exploited and attacked each other. Everywhere people learning to hear the vibrations of God's voice within themselves, trusting the body and its desires, awake to our belovedness in God. Amen. <laughs>